Thanks, Daniel. My name is Ron Cool, and I am one of the pastors here and want to extend a word of welcome to all of you, especially, again, if you're visiting with us. And I also want to just take a moment to say thank you to all the moms and to celebrate you and to, to just tell you we give thanks to God for you and we pray for you. Uh, for those of you who is, uh, have a struggle today, that it's a tough Mother's Day, then we also just please know we're praying for you. So, uh, again, happy Mother's Day to all of you. And if my mom calls any of you, tell her I said it because she wonders that I don't do as much here. She, you know, wants me to, but we're halfway through the story of Noah, so we got to keep going, right? We got, poor Noah is in the ark on the top of the water, and we got to figure out what happens next. So that's what we're going to do, but happy Mother's Day to all of you. Hope you have a great day. We are continuing in that series that we've been doing on Genesis 1 through 11, all right? We've been calling this Beginnings, and, and we've been looking at it, and like I said, last week we started taking a look at the story of Noah and the ark of the flood that, that came upon the earth, and we said, you know, on the one hand, it's a cute little kid's story, right? We put up arcs in our babies' nurseries and so on. But if you stop and think about it, it's a really violent story with great death and great destruction and a lot of judgment going on. And so there's also this really, really scary part about the story of, of the flood. And so last week we kind of asked, what was God doing in the flood? What was God doing when he sent the flood? And we talked about how it was in response to how violent things had become. That, that in the beginning, God created everything and it was good. Genesis 1 and 2, that there was, there was no sin and everything was just the way it was supposed to be. But then uh, Adam and Eve decided to tell God, we want to do it our way. And they rebelled against God and there was the fall. And then it gets worse because Cain kills Abel. And then it gets worse because Lamech kills somebody and says, well, if Cain is avenged seven times, I'm avenged 77 times. And when we get to chapter 6, the beginning of the flood story, what we're told is that the, the thoughts of the human heart are only evil and that the world was full of violence. And then we said the flood came in response to God's world, which was, which was imploding in on itself, right? Which was falling in on itself and, and destroying itself. And so what God says is, no, this cannot go on forever. We talked about that sense that we all have of a need for judgment, that the things aren't the way they're supposed to be and something should be done about it. And so God sends the flood and, and, and in that there's destruction, but he also has Noah build the ark and in that we find salvation. And we talked about how the waters of the flood not only brought judgment, but also salvation. And they lifted that ark up and, and that it was full of truth and, and full of love. So we said that's what God was doing in the flood. We also looked at it another way, okay? We looked at it and, and kind of said one of the things God was doing was God was undoing creation. And, and again, this goes way back to what we talked about last fall. But in creation, what God was doing is God, uh, was, his spirit was hovering over the waters and then he separates, right? God is continually separating and he's pushing the water back and he's creating the land. And what he's doing is creating a safe place for people to be right? He's creating a place where humans can flourish, and he's holding back the waters of chaos. That's kind of what it would have looked like in the mind of a, of a Hebrew person, of an Israelite at that time. Waters above and waters below. And we said last week that in the flood, God has Noah build an ark. That's too large. We'll shrink it down. Okay, he has Noah build an ark, and, and then what he does is he releases the water, right? In Genesis 7, verse 11, it says that, On that day, all the springs of the great deep from the bottom, those burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens, so those great seas, the waters below burst forth, and the floodgates of the heaven were opened, right? And so it looked, we said something like this, where all the, everything is, is there, and then Noah gets lifted up, and, and it's chaos. And so, in a sense, we're right back to Genesis 1. 
Okay, I'll show you that in just a minute. But we're back to the beginning right, right now because it's, there's, there's no land. There's nothing there. It's just the water that's covering the earth. And, and in Genesis 7.23, we read, Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. Okay, So that's the end of chapter 7. And I want to pick up on chapter 8 and, and really ask, what happens after the flood? What happens after the flood? And, and, and what we're going to see this morning, I want to talk about three things and then a fourth ultimate thing. But this is really, I think, where the story from last week, in some ways for me, was just a setup. And the first part of this sermon is going to be a setup for what God really wants us to see, okay? So stick with me. I'm going to give you a lot of information, but don't get too caught up in the small parts, okay? So, you know, what happens after the flood? The first thing is, what God does is God recreates the world, okay? God recreates the world. Like I said, we're here at Genesis 1, verse 2. And, and, and what God is going to do is he's going to make everything new. In creation, God pushed the waters back. In the flood, he let the waters come in. And now God is going to push them back. Genesis 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah. God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark, and he sent a wind over the earth, and the water receded, right? And maybe you picked it up. Think about this. Think back to Genesis 1, verse 2. Look at this. What was it like at the beginning? There was water all over the place, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And the word is the exact same. In 8.1 and 1.2. You could have said in, in 8.1, you could say, and he sent his spirit over the earth and the waters receded. What we have is all this water in God's spirit or the wind, ruach is the Hebrew word. It's, it's over, the neath, uh, over, the top, uh, over the top of this, all right? So you got the waters above, you got, or now there's chaos, there's water everywhere. You got the ark there, okay? So 8 verse 2. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heaven had been closed. God closes off the top, God closes off the bottom, right? We're recreating here, and, 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 and again, this is about second chances. This story is all about new opportunities, and so God is going to say, he's like a director who's saying in this, take it from the top, let's start over again, okay? So, the waters receded steadily from the earth, 8 verse 3, so they go down, and the water, the ark goes down, okay? After 150 days, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat, all right? So it goes down a little more, and it rests there on the mountains of Ararat, okay? So it's there. Now, at this point, you can't see any land yet, okay? At this point, Noah's still on the ark. All he can see is the water, but the ark is now resting on this mountain. So we're, we're getting there, okay? We're, we're getting to that place. Now, 8 verse 5. The waters continued to recede until the 10th month, and on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible, all right? So this is about day 220 of, of Noah. He, by the way, he's in the ark somewhere around 370 days, if, you know, altogether. It wasn't just the 40 days of rain. It was about a year, a little bit over a year. So this is about day 220, okay? And, and, and now they start to see the tops of the mountains. The tops of the mountains become visible, Look at this. Again, watch how we're recreating, because let's go back to Genesis 1, verse 9. It says this, And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. Day 3, right? So God is making things new. God is saying, you know what? We're going to start over. We're going to take it from the top. Genesis, what what God does next then is, is, or what Noah does next is he sends out a raven, and that raven just flies around. He sends out a dove, and that dove flies around and comes back, so he knows there's no place to land. And then he sends out a second dove, okay? 8 verse 11, he sends out another dove, and when that dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf, okay? An olive leaf. 
Who cares? Then no one knew that the water had receded from the earth. Why is it important that it was an olive leaf? What does this mean? It means things are growing, right? I, I mean, it was an olive leaf because now the trees are blooming again. Now the trees, it's like Michigan in May, right? All of a sudden, there's, there's new life again. And so vegetation has come. And my goodness, if we go back to Genesis 1 verse 11, what did God show up next? Then God said, let the land produce vegetation seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seeds in it according to their various kinds, and it was so. So do you get the idea? God is saying, look, we're going to start over, okay? You messed it up, you messed it up, but we're going to start over. We're going to get rid of the bad people like we talked about last week. We're going to wash everything and get rid of all the, change the environment, and we're going to start all over, and everything is going to work really well. Okay, so now we're going to start all over. We got the plants again. We got that stuff. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. God calls Noah out of the ark. Then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So the animals come out, and God tells them they need to be fruitful and increase. Oh my goodness, let's go to day five, Genesis 1.22. God blessed them, this is the birds and the sea creatures, and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Okay, do you get it? <laughs> do you see that this is like a fresh start? This is a new beginning. Then Noah the new Adam. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. He is righteous. And so he honors God in taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds. He sacrificed burnt offerings on it, okay? So we have this, this brand new. What God does first is he recreates. He drives out the water again. He pushes it back. The land appears. The vegetation appears. The animals come out. They're told to multiply. We've got a fresh beginning, okay? We have got a fresh beginning. But as I said last week, and this is going to become important at the end, there are two things that are going to be a little different here. What did the flood accomplish? It got rid of all the bad people, right? It removed all the bad people. They're, they're no longer around. And that's, we said, you know, that's one of the solutions that we have when, when, when there's struggles in our world. We've got to build more jails, right? We've got we to take the bad people. If we could just get rid of some of these bad people, the rest of us are okay. The rest of us are okay. And so now all the bad people are gone, and the environment has changed. Think about it. There's no racism, there's no hunger. There's no struggles. There's no, it, it is a brand new, fresh start. It is everything we could ask for, okay? If we could engage every social program, whether we're liberal and want to re-educate everybody or we're conservative and want to throw the bad people in jail, we could do both of them. That's what the flood does, right? The flood sets everything up, and God creates, recreates his world with a fresh start. And the question is, how's it going to go this time, right? Last time, it fell. Last time, it broke. How's it going to go this time? So God's not done yet. He, he remakes things new, and then he wants to give Noah a few more gifts. And so God makes a deal, a covenant with Noah and his children in the earth. God makes a covenant with everything. It's just fascinating to do this, to watch this. First thing God does is he gives a couple of commands, okay? A couple of commands. Again, I don't want to get lost in this and spend too much time on it, but the first one he gives, again, is, is the same one he gave to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. He says this in 9.1 and in 9.7, and it's the same command that came in 126. Okay, so again, it's do that. And then interesting, okay, this is interesting because he gives him one other command, and that is he is to honor life, especially human life. 
but also animal life, okay? This gives us a sense of how we are to look at, at the animals around us, okay? Genesis 9, 4 to 6. But you must not eat meat that has, has its lifeblood still in it, okay? Let me just stop there a second. The, the, what, what, I'll say more about it in a minute, but God at this point tells Noah it's okay to eat animals, okay? It's okay to eat meat, wild animals, and I'll talk about that in a second. But God gives that permission to Noah, but he says, you know what? You don't do it indiscriminately. Be careful. You honor the lifeblood, okay? You, you respect it. It's not that animals are holy, but they are loved by God, and they are part of his creation. And so, yes, humans are created in God's image in a way animals aren't, but we need to, as we use animals, so to speak, not abuse animals. I mean, we, we have the opportunity. They are there. God gives them to us to bless us, but we are also to bless them, okay? So that, that, that one of the reasons that's important to me is when we think about environmental kind of issues, as, as people of God, as, as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't make animals or nature God, Okay? that's what a lot of folks do. It's kind of, it's God. And we don't say it's just even with us. It's exactly the same. And we don't say we can abuse it. No, we have this middle ground of saying it is, it is not God. It is not the same as us, but it is still loved by God. And, and, and so we honor it and, and we respect it. So we honor life in animals, but especially in human beings. I, I will, oh, hold on, let me go back. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. So as hum, for human lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal. That's just a fascinating line that I don't know what it means. So if a bear kills a human, God is going to demand an accounting from that bear. I don't know if that means there's bear purgatory or something, but somehow that bear is responsible. So any animal that takes a human life and any human who takes a human life is even more responsible. And from each human being, too, I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. And then these words. And they have been used to justify capital punishment and no capital punishment, okay? You can read these in a number of ways. But it says, Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. I'm not going to get into all the politics of whether capital punishment or not capital punishment. But what I want us to recognize is that we are called to honor human life, especially. All life, but honor human life, especially. And it's based on the fact that every human being is created in the image of God. And this is a fundamental truth that we read about in in Genesis 1, in Genesis 2, and now again in Genesis 8, that we are created in the image of God, and every person we meet is created in the image of God. And that means that every person is of great value to God. And, And we need to recognize that this is indiscriminate. God does not say to Noah, honor life because every person who honors me is created in my image. He does not say every Caucasian is created in my image. He does not say every smart person is created in my image. He says, no, every human being. And this crosses all lines. And that means that as Christians, as followers of this God, one of the things we do is we honor every human being no matter what their religious beliefs, okay? We honor the life of every human being, no matter what their religious beliefs, no matter what the intelligence, no matter what their ability to contribute to society, because every human being is created in the image of God. And if we get that straight, we will keep treating people differently. Uh, Again, when I think about this, you know, I mean, I, I, I think, I'll do this sometimes and people look at me weird, but when I see somebody, sometimes I go, whoa, 
it's, it's Eric or it's Dawn. If you're like, what's that? I'm like, this person was created in the image of God. Can you imagine? I am in the presence of somebody who bears God's image. I am in the presence of somebody who reflects God's character. And all of us should, I mean, you, you are sitting next to somebody who bears the image of God. Now, you might say it looks a little cracked, okay? You might kind of feel like it's not real, but that person bears the image of God. And that means we need to respect and just honor every person. It doesn't mean we don't hold people accountable and so on, but this is just fundamentally, God just says, you've got to do this, and, and this is why we need to care about justice. And, and again, I'm not going to talk a lot about it, but just... This is why, because everybody's created in God's image. We speak out for the unborn. We speak out for the hungry. We speak out for the homeless, because they all bear God's image. And we are responsible for the lifeblood and to do what we can to protect and honor that life. Now, interesting question here, thought here, just to plant a seed again. Here God is, okay, we're recreating, right? We've gotten rid of all the bad people. We've washed away all the environmental stuff. There's no racism. There's no sexism. There's none of those isms, all right? And so, why does God have to talk about murder? Why does God have to talk about killing? God knows. God's never surprised. He knows what's going to happen. We'll come back to that. So God gives those commands. Be fruitful and honor life. The second thing God does and again, what, what, what I want you to see is God is giving us every opportunity here. Okay, God, God commands and then God provides. In this covenant, God provides food. One of the issues that some people suggest was uh, the cause of all the violence before the flood is just a lack of food. It's possible that there just wasn't enough food or 